Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The title of this message is The Promises of God. The Promises of God. I can remember as a little boy that if an adult ever made a promise to me, I had a long memory. I remember promises that were kept, and I remember promises that were broken. And it's interesting how decades later, I still remember the promises that were broken. When it comes to our relationship with God, God the Father keeps his promises. If our Lord makes a promise to you, you can believe he will keep his word. Beginning back in Genesis chapter 315, verse 15, you don't have to turn there. After sin and death came into the world because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, God made you a promise. And the promise that he made to you in Genesis 3.15 is that he would send the Messiah, that he would send a Savior, that he would send one who would stand uh, between you and the sin and death that had come into the world. And way back in Genesis, God made that promise, and he kept the promise in the book of Matthew. He kept the promise in the gospel according to John, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, as of God the Father. But that is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Thank God he made that promise. Thank God that he kept that promise. But there are hundreds of other promises within the word of God. There are hundreds of other promises within the word of God that apply specifically to the man or woman or the boy or girl in this room today who have put their faith and their confidence and their trust in Jesus Christ. Once we trusted Jesus Christ, once we believed that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose from the grave, then we were grafted into the family of God. We were outsiders. We were sinners. We were outside the camp. We were at war with God. We were angry at God. But the moment you turn from your sin, the moment you put your faith, your confidence, your trust in Jesus Christ, you are adopted into the family of God. And when you join the family of God, all the promises of the Bible from Genesis 3.15 to the book of the Revelation, it all applies to you. And God has yet to break his promise. God has yet to go back on his word. The psalm that we read today, Psalm 91, talks about the promises of God. This is a very powerful and very prolific psalm here. There was a time in South Africa, there was a political prisoner in a place called Robben Island. I was there a few weeks ago. It's about seven miles outside of, uh, off the coast of Cape Town. And it was a prison that held political prisoners during the time of apartheid in South Africa. Apartheid was a time of uh, severe racial prejudice and severe racial discrimination. It was legalized in 1948, and it, it lasted all the way up until the early 90s. And the whole idea is that the minority, who were people of Dutch descent, controlled the majority who were uh, members of different tribes like uh, Zulu or Yoruba uh, or the uh, Exosa. These, these are all indigenous people who lived uh, in South Africa. Well, they were controlled by this racial radical system called apartheid. It was so severe that apartheid told you where you could have your child. It told uh, parents where their child could go to school. And if you died, it told you where you could be buried. And you also had to have a pass. You had to have a document at all times that limited your travel. 
So you couldn't go from Gardena to Compton unless you had a pass. You couldn't go from Inglewood to Hollywood unless you had a pass. And if you didn't have that pass, you were arrested and you were put in prison. And the maximum time in prison was at least five years for not having that pass. So that's how the majority uh, was kept under the thumb of the minority from 1948 into the early 90s. I say this because this particular psalm was the favorite psalm of one of those political prisoners. It was a fellow named Robert Sabukwe. And Robert Sabukwe essentially led a demonstration and a protest against the pass laws. And because he rallied people to not go to work and to leave their passes at home, everyone who followed that example of nonviolent resistance to racial discrimination, they were arrested and they were thrown in prison. Robert Sabukwe was thrown in prison on Robben Island. He lived there for eight years. You don't escape from Robben Island. They had one person try to escape from Robben Island. He didn't make it because of the currents, because of the great white sharks, you know, the water's too cold. Nobody can escape, and nobody has escaped from Robben Island. Today it's a museum. But during the time Robert Sabukwe was there, he was in solitary confinement for eight years. The only people that he saw were his guards who hated him, and the man who brought him his food. But he was not allowed to interact with his family. He had a wife, three children. He was not allowed to interact with the other prisoners being held at Robben Island. Uh, one was Nelson Mandela, a name you might be familiar with. But throughout that whole time, what he held on to was his faith. What he held on to was the prom were the promises of God. So Robert Sabukwe, his favorite psalm was Psalm 91. <laughs> He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. For eight years, the only company he had was his own thoughts, his own conscience, his own doubts, his own fears. It's a very powerful psalm. We have the advantage of not being in solitary confinement. We get up in the morning, take a nice shower, freshen up, put on fresh clothes, have a meal if you want to, leave here, have a nice meal. Only, only document you need to have in your pocket is your driver's license. You can go anywhere you want. In Los Angeles County, you can go anywhere you want in the United States of America. The fellow who loved this psalm did not have the privileges and the rights that we have as American citizens. But what he did have was a Bible that was given to him by his wife before he was sent to prison. What he did have were the promises of God from time eternal to all who would believe and all who would know. The title of this message today is The Promises of God. And I have three short points for you. The first is, the saved may know his protection. That's a promise. The saved may know his protection. Once again, he, the believer, that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. The secret place is that place we go when we have prayer with God. The secret place is that place we go when we uh, sing spiritual hymns to ourselves. Uh, the secret place is that place we go when we want to know the will of God. So the Bible says that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, that's God, shall live, abide under the shadow of the Almighty. How powerful. We don't even need to be in his presence. We just need to be in the shadow of the Almighty. And then, in verse 2, 
The writer of the psalm says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him, in him will I trust. We trust in so many things. We trust in our intellect. We trust in our political points of view. We trust in our theology. We trust in our psychology. We trust in our college teachers. We trust our mothers and our fathers and our sisters and our brothers and our best friends. And some of those things aren't, aren't wrong. I'm not preaching against trusting your BFF. But I am saying that you do, you do need to trust the Lord God. David said, probably the writer of the song, in him will I trust. Surely, in verse 3, God shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Let me drop anchor there. The snare of the fowler. Back in ancient days, before guns were invented, the fowler was a professional job. And his job was to catch birds. Sometimes he would catch birds for food. Other times he would catch birds for sacrifices in the temples or uh, other, other uh, religious activity. And the way he would catch the uh, bird would be by setting out a snare. Bird would come, catch snare, boom, you got, you got dinner. In this context, the Bible is saying that God shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Our application as born-again believers in Jesus Christ is that the fowler's name is Satan. And he sets snares to trap you. And the snares come in all different shapes, sizes, and forms. Sometimes they're bright, shiny things. Other times it might be uh, reaching inside of you to see, you know, what tempts you. Doubt, fear, jealousy, hatred, anger, bitterness. Or maybe going back into your old life and drawing up maybe a song, you know, from that time before you knew Jesus Christ. It stirs those old emotions and stirs those old feelings. Or maybe you meet someone uh, that uh, you had a former relationship with. The devil can't hypnotize you and force you to do anything against your will. But what he can do is lay snares, traps. And the Bible says that God protects us from the snare of the fowler. The Bible also says that God will protect us from the noisome pestilence. That was a nice transition. Good job. The noisome pestilence. Noisome means uh, a foul odor. And pestilence in this context in the Bible means any type of evil. We live in a world today that every step of the way seems to be fraught with danger. We don't have that, unless you're a Christian, that peace that surpasses all understanding. I've seen houses that look like fortresses with high walls and barbed wire across the top and those lights that have motion detectors. Why is all that in place? Because people are afraid. Uh, pop culture reality person Kim Kardashian got robbed in, in Paris. Probably heard the story. Five guys pretending to be police officers came into her, her apartment, tied her up, put her in a bathtub, robbed her. We haven't seen her in public since. She used to be uh, in the media every day, taking selfies, posting herself in bikinis and bathing suits and tight dresses and all that stuff. I think we saw her once getting some ice cream and she wasn't 
wearing makeup in that particular picture. Why? Because she's terrified. All the money in the world didn't protect her in Paris. Her security guards didn't protect her in Paris. Her fame, her fortune, her notoriety did not protect her in Paris. So now she's afraid to sit, let people see her jewelry. She's afraid to sit, let people see her going out at night in Hollywood. We have the protection of God. God protects us from the noisome pestilence. It's interesting how sin has an odor that goes along with it. Be it alcohol, marijuana, sex outside of marriage, pornography, drug use, whatever. It has an odor, anger, bitterness. It has a smell that goes along with it. And God promises to protect us from the noisome pestilence. I was a young police officer. I think I'd been on the job for about uh, a year. And I was in my patrol car, and I got a call about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The call came out, check the well-being. And a check the well-being call, in this case, meant that this fellow had not been seen for about three days. And there was a strong odor coming out of his apartment. So in my department, we're in our cars by ourselves. Your partner's in another car. So I copied the call. I was like 14 at him or something. My partner copied the call. He was 14 boy. So he's coming from a different direction. I got there before he did. So I parked my car on the curb outside of a two-story apartment building. I got out of my car, and I could smell the odor of death before I even closed the car door. I went upstairs to the apartment, and I walked along the walkway, quietly, toward the door. Saw the apartment number, and I stopped on this side of the door. The odor of death got stronger. And the academy are trained that when you go into a location like that, what you're looking for is the suspect. So that's what's in my head. Door's partially open. The sun is going down. I pushed the door open, and I took my gun out. I walked quietly into the room. The smell of death got stronger and stronger. There was darkness. There were shadows. And quiet. I cleared the living room. No suspects there. Walked a little further. Cleared the kitchen. Cleared the bathroom. The last room was a bedroom one-bedroom apartment. As I stepped through the door of the apartment, of the bedroom, I was overwhelmed by the odor. There laying on the bed was a victim of murder. Put my gun away, and the body was covered with a white sheet. There was blood coming through the white sheet. Then there was blood splatter on the wall. The suspect had murdered this fellow in his sleep. The blood splattered on the wall. Then he covered the body and left. What you remember in a situation like that is not the murder victim. 
And it may sound callous, but it's not. Because after a 25-year career as a police officer, detective lieutenant, robbery and homicide, you see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases of violent death. But what I do remember to this very day is the way that room smelled. I remember that odor. And it gets into your uniform, and it gets into your hair, and it stays there until you take that uniform off and you take a shower. That's what noisome pestilence is like. That's what God protects us from. The saved may know his protection. Over in John chapter 16, verse 33, the Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, that's Jesus, that in me ye might have peace. In the world, pay attention, ye shall have tribulation. It's going to get rough. Got rough for Jesus? If it hasn't gotten rough for you, it will get rough. But then Jesus said, be of good cheer. Why? I, Jesus, have overcome the world. What God protects us from, and what God protects you from, is not from the tribulation. But he'll protect you while you're in the tribulation. And I'm not talking about the last three and a half years of the end times, but I'm talking about problems, difficulty, challenges, you know, that we face in life. All right? Driving down the freeway, pow! Tire blows, okay? And then you pull over to the side of the road and you make your phone call. First thing, you were able to pull over to the side of the road. <laughs> you didn't spin wildly out of control. Second thing, you got a cell phone. So you're able to get on the phone and say, Brother Richard, my tire blew out. Here I am, northbound 110, just outside of downtown. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I just drove by there the other day. I know exactly where you're at, brother. I'll be right there. That's God's grace, and that's God's mercy during, during times of tribulation. He'll take care of his people. Your tires will blow out. That's the way it is. You will get a toothache. You may get cancer one day. You will have back pain. Your foes will be those of your own household. But the Lord protects us. The Lord covers us. The Lord leads us through those circumstances. In verse 4 of Psalm 91, the Bible says, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. God is a spirit. God does not have feathers. God does not have wings. This is a metaphor of how an eagle protects its young, how a bird protects its young from wolves, from predator birds, from fires. That's what that bird will do. It will spread its wings around its young. So in this metaphor, God will cover you under his wings, shalt thou trust his truth, his truth shall be thy sword and buckler. That's the rest of uh, verse 4. His truth shall be 
thy sword and buckler, shield and buckler. Shield and buckler are essentially the two things, same thing, but they're just two different types of shields. That's what that means. So sometimes there are shields that cover the entire body, and then there are smaller shields. In the Middle Ages, it was about, it was a little round circle like that. But that's what God is. He's your shield. He's your buckler. But you've got to trust him. We get into situations where we feel overwhelmed by events. Could be a move in life. Could be a relationship breaking up. Could be a new relationship, new friendship, new job, new responsibilities, new accountabilities. That's just the way life is. Wasn't supposed to be this chaotic. When God created the heavens and the earth and he put... Adam into uh, the Garden of Eden when he made Adam go to sleep and then out of his rib the ladies came. God wanted peace and harmony. He wanted us to have peace and harmony, the men with the women and the men and the women with God. That's what the original intent was. Just walk in the garden with God every evening when the sun went down. How peaceful, how calm, how harmonious. Wouldn't need any stress pills. Wouldn't have to take yoga. Wouldn't have to do all that stuff to calm down. Wouldn't need marijuana. Wouldn't need alcohol. Wouldn't need to gossip. (laughs) Wouldn't need any of those things. Because we would have had a perfect, harmonious relationship with God. But because Eve and Adam disobeyed the word of God, because they, as the Bible says, she tells us they did not withheld hold to his truth. His truth. His word was truth. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he probably didn't even raise his voice. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tempter comes along and says in the same voice, surely he didn't say that. Surely he didn't mean that. Sometimes the tempter comes and imitates the voice of God. And we think that the enemy is is leading us according to the will of God, when in reality he's leading us away from the truth of God. So we hold on to his truth because it's a shield against the enemy. It's a shield against the fiery darts of the devil. And the saved may know God's protection as a result of the shield and the buckler and this particular promise. So first we see under the promises of God that the saved may know his protection. Secondly, the wicked shall know his judgment. In uh, Psalm 91, verse 7, the Bible says, A thousand shall fall at thy side, that's because of the pestilence, disease, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. That's a solid promise. Thousands of people shall drop dead, but it shall not come nigh thee, is the promise. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. And let me clarify that. Everybody dies. Okay? Newsflash. Anybody didn't know they were going to die? Okay. Everybody go. Nobody gets out alive. All right? But the way to move from death to life is through Jesus Christ. It's a small transition by turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus Christ. You don't have to join Bible Baptist Church. You don't have to stand up here and give a testimony. You don't have to give money. All you have to do is repent and believe. It's just that simple. A child can do it. But the wicked 
who don't will know his judgment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, the Bible teaches that men continue to sin because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What's it all mean? Because God doesn't open up the earth and strike people with lightning every five minutes, men continue to sin. (laughs) Is there really a God? God is dead. Oh, the God of the Bible would never judge me. The God would never, God would never send me to hell. God is a, a myth. It's some fiction. That's what they teach our kids in, in liberal colleges. That the Bible is literature, but not the word of God. And as a result, because that sentence against sin is executed, not executed speedily, sinners get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into their sin. They continue to do evil. But we note that that judgment will be executed inevitably. Why isn't it not executed speedily? Because God loves you. The Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all, all, all should come to repentance. The hell, hell was not created for human beings. The Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for you. But God's judgment will be known by the wicked. Because even though I make this abundantly clear, and the majority of these people in this room have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but there might be one or two or three here today that have not have yet to turn from sin and have their sins covered by the blood of Christ. You're the ones I'm talking to right now. The second point applies to you. Because judgment is on the way. The wicked shall know his judgment. I'm not going to go all fire and brimstone on you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Jesus Christ is the way to get away from God's judgment. God doesn't want to judge you. God doesn't want you to go to hell. If you go to hell, it's because you made a decision to reject this truth today and go to hell. It's your choice. God's choice was to send Jesus Christ to die in your place on the cross at Calvary. That's the choice that God made. That he sent his son to die a horrible, ignominious death on the cross at Calvary with thorns on his head, blood rushing into his eyes, nails through his hands, nails through his feet, back torn to shreds by a whip, and the final insult being thrust through the side by a Roman spear. That's what Jesus endured for you. Not to mention the betrayal of his friends. The only one at the cross that day were the ladies that followed him and John. All the rest of them. Peter, I'll never deny you. James, Bartholomew, all gone. All running for their lives. Because they were afraid that they too would meet that death on the cross. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. And what do you have to do to enjoy the promise of God. Nothing. You don't have to stop smoking. You don't have to stop drinking. You don't have to stop stealing. 
what you have to do is trust Jesus. Once he changes your heart, then all those sins fall by the wayside. Amen? Amen. And the people saying amen in the room are those who saw their sins fall by the wayside. You look good today. Wonder what you looked like 15, 20 years ago. Were you in church on Sunday morning or were you getting over that hangover? Ooh, preacher, wait a minute. <laughs> some, some folks in this room live in a bubble. You don't, don't, don't kind of know what goes on out there. But some stuff goes on out there. <laughs> All right? And there are people in this room whose lives have been changed dramatically because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. But the wicked, they have an opportunity. Once again, the Bible says that the Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's all that's required. <laughs> Simple faith, trust, belief in Jesus Christ, and you can avoid God's judgment. First, the saved may know his protection. That's a great promise. Secondly, the wicked shall know his judgment. I was channel surfing the other day, and I was watching uh, one of these little fake news shows called uh, TMZ. And what the whole thing happens is uh, they talk to celebrities in the, in the airport while they're on their way to wherever they're going. So one of the reporters walks up to a celebrity, and he says, uh, do you want to go to heaven? And I forget who the celebrity was. I have no idea. He said, do you want to go to heaven? And... Uh, Celebrity says, well, if there are dogs there, I'd like to go to heaven. And these are lost people. So the reporter says, well, heaven sounds like it would be really boring. I'd rather go to hell, this is what he said, because that's where all the cool stuff is. All right? We shake our heads because we know there's no cool stuff in hell. And cool stuff to this young guy, he's about 24, 25 years old. It meant the Hollywood strip clubs, you know, plenty of marijuana, stuff like that. That's the cool stuff, all right? And I thought about that, and I said, man, that's a heck of a sermon illustration. Because here we are with so many different Bibles. Here we are with the gospel going out over the airwaves. Here we are with a church on just about every corner in, in Los Angeles County. And you got two individuals who still don't know how to get to heaven. And somebody probably gave him a track, especially at the airport, or riding on the airplane. You know, you ride on the airplane, you use an opportunity to try to witness to people if you're on a long ride, or you give them a track or something like that. But I know, I know as sure as I'm standing here, that God's grace and God's truth and God's mercy got to that reporter and got to that celebrity as well. And since they're still alive, there's still hope. But if they reject that hope, which is Jesus Christ, then judgment of God will catch up with them. Hell is not a cool place. Over in Luke, and you don't have to turn there, chapter 16, it's a very familiar story. And it's a true story. But generally, when Jesus says it's a parable, he'll tell you it's a parable. But with the rich man and Lazarus, he doesn't identify it as a parable. There was a rich man. There was a fellow named Lazarus. The rich man is in hell. Lazarus is in heaven. And the rich man in hell 
when he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, the first thing that comes to his mind are the words, relieve me from these torments. No strip club, no free marijuana, no flowing cognac and wine, no endless parties, torments, torments, torments. The promises of God, the saved may know his protection. Secondly, the wicked may know his judgment. And thirdly and finally, the repentant may know his salvation. The repentant may know his salvation. Psalm Psalm chapter 91, verse 14. The Bible says, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Drop anchor right there. Unconditional love. No strings attached. I love you because you're pretty. I love you because you're smart. I love you because you got money. I love you because you love me. You know. Humans, we attach conditions to stuff. <laughs> All God wants is your love. As a believer, he wants your love. As a lost person, he wants you to repent then love him. <laughs> but, but he wants you to repent. And once we do, verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, God promises, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Verse 15, the promise continues. He shall call upon me. I will answer him. Woo! I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my altogether salvation. Amen. Those are words that you can trust. Those are words that you can depend on. And if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that should be your testimony. That should be your life. We're just not Sunday, Wednesday night Christians here. It is a way of life. Life available through Jesus Christ. Life that is changed from the wickedness of this world to a perfect, harmonious relationship with God. And all that's required is a change of mind about sin. Repentance, that's what that is. The Bible gives us two illustrations of repentance in the Bible, and somebody asked me about it the other week. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? They both committed the same sin which was betraying the Lord. Judas betrayed the Lord, gave him back the 30 pieces of silver, ran out into the night, and hung himself. Peter did the same thing. He denied Jesus Christ three times. And not only did he deny Jesus, but he cursed out the people that accused him of following Jesus. Go back and read it. Yeah, he's cursing. He's upset. Get away from me, you so-and-so. I don't know this man. Cursed him. Cursed the folk. But then, the last two words of that uh, discussion tells us that Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Now, the tears don't save you, but the change of heart does. Peter had a change of heart. And he goes on in the New Testament in the book of Acts and he preaches a message and we see 3,000 people getting saved. He goes on to write 1 Peter and 2 Peter. 
He goes on to die a martyr's death in, in Nero's Rome because he had a change of heart about sin. Uh, and we're not going to go into the Greek today, but if you want to talk about it later, we can do that. But he had a change of mind about sin. While Judas felt bad about what he did, he was remorseful. Like driving down the street and you run over a puppy, you know, oh, I feel bad about it, you know. But as soon as you get your car clean, you don't feel bad about it anymore. Judas betrayed the Son of God, and he felt bad about it. But he didn't feel bad enough to repent and believe. Peter betrayed the Son of God, and he felt bad enough. Not only felt bad, but he had a change of mind where he said, I'll never do that again. And he didn't. Two thieves on the cross. Jesus in the middle. One thief on the left hand. Another thief on the right hand. How'd they get there? Capital punishment. Capital murder. They killed somebody. They violated the law of Rome. And they were condemned to public execution. And the Bible tells us that both of them railed against Jesus. Both of them did. If you're the Christ, get us down from here. If you're really the Son of God, save us. And this just went on for hours. But in the meantime, Jesus is looking at the foot of the cross. He sees his mother, sweet Mary. He sees John, the beloved. He says, behold your mother. So John took care of Mary. And then Jesus looks out over the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So all this time, Jesus is ministering from the cross. All this time, Jesus is soul winning from the cross. Crucifixion was a long process back in the day. Jesus wasn't the first one to be crucified. That was a common form of execution in the Roman Empire. And normally, death by crucifixion took two to three days hanging on the cross. And death didn't come by bleeding to death. Death came by suffocation. They were nailed on the cross, usually with a little stool beneath them to sit on, but in order to breathe, they had to raise up. And then when they sat back down again, they began to suffocate. So this went on for two or three days at a time, until finally the convicted couldn't get up anymore, and he just sat there and suffocated. And if the Romans wanted to speed it up, they would come along and break the legs. That's why the thieves' legs were broken, so they couldn't raise themselves up and breathe and get a breath of air. So while Jesus is dying, and while Jesus is soul winning, the thief looks at him, the one on the right hand, and he says, I believe you are the Christ. Had a change of mind. And he was railing on Jesus all the way up to, to, uh, to, to that moment. But then Jesus' testimony was enough for that thief to trust him and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He didn't come down from the cross. He didn't attend the synagogue. He didn't start tithing his money. He didn't go out soul winning on Saturday morning. You know, didn't wear a black suit, white shirt, and a dark tie. Didn't have a Schofield Bible. None of that stuff. But what did he have? Faith, confidence, and a repentant heart. So Jesus... And God the Father, many promises in the Bible. 
First, the saved may know his protection. The wicked shall know his judgment. The repentant may know his salvation. In conclusion, my ancestors uh, came to the New World beginning in the year 1619. Um, Arab slave traders and African tribal leaders captured men and women from other tribes and sold them to the Portuguese who established slave trade from the west coast of Africa to places like Haiti and Jamaica, Brazil, and the British colonies, Georgia, Virginia, Maryland, places like that. The slave trade lasted from about 1619 to about the year 1865. It's a very vile business. And most people of African descent, that's how we got here. This business required packing hundreds of Africans in the bottom of a sailing ship, laying side by side, chained together. And this journey would take three to four months across the Atlantic Ocean. These men and women laid in their own human waste until they were taken on deck for fresh air and exercise, and then below decks was washed out with buckets of water, then they were taken back downstairs, down below decks. There was so much death emanating, and the odor of death emanating from the slave ships that sharks would follow them across the Atlantic, waiting for dead bodies to be tossed into the ocean. Or if there was rebellion on the slave ship, then the person in that rebellion would be tossed overboard alive. Slave trade was very lucrative. Slaves were brought to the Caribbean to work the sugar plantations. They were brought to Brazil to work coffee. They were brought to uh, what became the United States to work tobacco and cotton. And there was a particular slave trader who was a very vile individual. He was a captain of a ship. The Bible says, not the Bible, but history books say that he was a libertine, which means he liked to party like to drink hard, chase women, all that. Plus, he was an atheist on top of that. So he had no belief in God, and he didn't care about the human cargo below his decks, my ancestors. However, there was a storm at sea one night, a very violent storm, and the atheistic, libertine, slave-trading captain repented that night, gave his life to Jesus Christ. Later he wrote a hymn. Hymn has a title. What's the name of the hymn? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He knew what he was before he met Jesus Christ. His name is John Newton went on to become a minister, went on to become one of the strongest voices against slavery in England. And England outlawed slavery before the United States did. That's the power of God. That's what God can do with a repentant heart. You may not be a slave trader, you may not be a libertine, you may not be an atheist, but there is some sin in your life that God is willing to forgive. That's why you're here today. 
You're not here by accident. You're here because the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. You have an opportunity to turn from sin and trust Christ today. Begin a new life, a new beginning. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm asking you to join God through Jesus Christ. For the believer in this room, we live in, in perilous times. And they're going to get more threatening. If you don't remember anything else from this message, remember that you are saved and you may know his protection. Those wings are for you. Don't try to fight these spiritual battles alone. You have the promises of Psalm chapter 91.